Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Today, I want to talk to you uh, on the topic of, if I I had a title, it would be called, Why Can't We Be Friends? Remember that old song? Why can't we be, remember that song? Come on, why can't we be friends? I don't even know what it was about, and so probably has a good, good meaning, you know, something, something, something deep. All I, all I just kept hearing that tune in, in my head, and it's a question. Like, why can't we be friends? And what I want to do is I want to teach you or give you some spiritual advice on what you should look for in, in friendship. And here's why, and I've told you this for years, and I've seen it to be true. You show me your five closest friends, I'll show you your future. You show me the people that you spend the majority of your time with, and I'll show you where you're going in life, both positive and, and, and negative. So I'm going to talk to you on the impact of friendships. And here's the thing about it. I'm not talking to you about not being kind to people, friendly to people. We're going to be friendly to everyone, but I want to teach you to be picky with your friends. You're going to meet people by chance, but you get to choose who you're friends with. There's different types of relationships, just so we're clear too. As a Christian, I have three different types of relationships. Two of them are, I'm not talking about today. First one is what I would call the mentoring relationship. That's not a friendship. That's when you find somebody and you are investing into them, no strings attached. They don't provide you anything back. It's kind of like being a parent. You know what I'm talking about? Like you give, give, give. They, they're experts at take, take, taking, right? And so And that's your role. You're mentoring, you're teaching, you're having conversations. If you're spiritually growing, you should be doing that in your life. You should be finding people that you can speak to. If you own a business, there's other guys or girls coming up that are starting that same business. You should be speaking into their life. If, if, if you're, you're a married couple and you've been married for a long time, as a Christian, you know God wants you to have a great marriage, but he wants you to have a great marriage to be a testimony and encouragement to other people. And so you want to be speaking to other people. Hey, we've been through that. Hey, that's pretty normal. Like, here's how we've gotten through that. So mental relationships. Another type of relationship that's really important is what I'll call the mentee relationship. And the mentee is you find people that are where you want to be and you ask them really good questions. And you listen to what they say. Here's the problem with so many people that I've mentored. They ask great questions, but they don't listen. Right? That's a waste of time. That's bad soil. The Bible says not to give your pearls to swine. And so, no offense, but that's what, that's what it says. And so, like, I, I, I want to find people who I invest in, and then I want to find older guys and people that have been there, and I want to say, hey, does this make sense? Like, some of the best conversations I've had have been with other pastors, where I'm like, hey, do you want, did you want to quit every Monday? And they're like, yeah, every Monday. How, how long did you do it? 38 years? Did it ever go away? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, thank you for that, right? Or I, I, as I've pastored for years, like, I, I have a love-hate relationship with, with holidays. I just mainly hate them now. And so, because they're so stressful at, at church. And so I'll ask them, like, did you, did you like Christmas? No, pastors hate Christmas, right? We love Jesus, but the, it's just a lot, a lot of, like, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So I should, I should, hey, yeah, yeah, you're fine. And so, like, it's really good. Like, it's, it's just benefit. You start a business, hey, does this feel like this all the time? Is this, yeah, that's normal. Like, it, it, you should have those type of relationships. But what I want to talk to you about today is what I would call mutual influential friendship, where somebody in your life has a platform to influence you. And, and in these relationships, you should be ridiculously picky 
with what you allow to come into your life. And here's why. This is key. They're going to put this on the screens. It's impossible to live the right life when you're surrounded by the wrong friends. It's impossible to live the right life when you're surrounded by the wrong influential friendship. It's impossible to have the right marriage. It's impossible to be the right business owner. You know this if you have kids right now. If your kids are getting to the age where they're starting to, you know, kind of get away from the nest and start to put down their own, you know, relational roots and meet people. And you're, as a parent, you're going, okay, please pick good friends because it's impossible to live the right life and have the wrong friends in your life. And so, you know, for a long time in my kids' lives, I dictated that. We hung out with people. Okay, I like your kids. Okay, it'll be fine. We'll have play dates. But you don't call them play dates after they turn 12 years old. That's weird, right? And so now you're hanging out with each other. But man, who, who are you hanging out with? What are their parents like? Where, what are, what are they going to do if you go sleep over at their house? Like you're constantly worried about these, these influences in their life. And you know why? Because you can't be the right person when you're surrounded by the wrong friendships. So I want to teach you what to look like. It's scriptural. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, walk with the wise, you'll become wise. It's real simple. The principle is simple. Walk with the wise, you'll become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harms. First, First Corinthians 15 reiterates this thousands of years later. What, is, what, is he, what does Paul say? Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be, don't, you're not the exception to the rule. That's what he's trying to say. You're not different. You're not better. You're definitely not better than Paul. Let's just make sure we get that on. Like, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. What he's trying to say is whoever you hang out with, they're contagious to you. Got any Poison Ivy fans here? Like, I absolutely, people be like, you like the outdoors? I'm like, no, I hate everything about the woods. Why do you hate the woods so much? Because I get Poison Ivy. And here's the thing about Poison Ivy. I don't need to try to get Poison Ivy. I don't go to it and say, that looks like poison ivy, and I you know, rub all over it. I could be walking by poison ivy, minding my own business, and the wind could blow 13 you know, meters this way, and it gets on my body, and before I know it, it is all over me, head to toe. I'm at the doctor getting steroids. You know what I'm talking about? If you ever got those steroids, I'm having the best week of my life, right? All jived up, ready to go, but man, the po- like, it's just contagious in my life. I don't have to try to get poison ivy. You don't have to try to get a bad attitude. Just hang out with people that have bad attitudes. You don't have to figure out how to be critical. Just hang out with people that are critical. You don't have to always see the negative in every, anything. Just hang out with people from Philadelphia, right? Like, you're just, everything is negative. You don't have to learn bad habits. You don't have to learn how to have a bad marriage. Just hang out with guys that hate being married. You don't have to learn how to, you know, mess your kids up. Just hang out with people that have already done it. Oh, that's what you do? Great, let's do it again. Like, you don't have to because it's just contagious in your life. In fact, let me show you this great story that, I, that, I'll, that I'll kind of build, you know, in, in Scripture uh, for, for this, this truth. And so, in the book of Exodus chapter 13, uh, God's people are approaching what the Bible calls the promised land. Uh, it, it'll be described in Scripture, if you read it, as the land flowing with milk and honey. It just means it has a lot of, of, of cattle, livestock, and has good, good fruit, right? Bees are pollinating everything. And so, like, there's, 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 it's a great spot to go. And God has promised his people that he was going to take them there. So he said, what, what does that mean? Well, the Bible is, 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 you know, can seem pretty complicated, but it's actually pretty simple, especially in the beginning. God creates Adam and Eve. They mess up. They have Cain and Abel. You know, they, they get mad at each other. And, and, you know, the Bible starts to kind of pick up steam. The next really popular Bible name you'll hear in Scripture after Cain and Abel, uh, there's, some, there's some names that some of us will know if we're by, you know, into the Bible, but for most of us, the next name is Abraham. 
If you grew up in church, literally that is the Father Abraham, most annoying song in the history of the world, next to who let the dogs out. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and, and so Father Abraham, Father Abraham, the story of him is God says, Abraham, I want to take you to the promised land. You're going to be a father of a great nation. So he leaves what he knows to go somewhere he doesn't know. That is the definition of faith. Problem was, uh, he thought he was going to have a lot of babies, and him and his wife couldn't have any babies. When he's 100 years old, he finally gets his wife pregnant. There's a little side story, Jerry Spr Springer moment in his life, but we don't have time to talk about that. And so, uh, but he, him and his wife, Sarah, get pregnant, and they have Isaac. A few years later, Isaac, you know, gets, gets old enough to have, get married, have a, have a baby. He has twins, Jacob and Esau. These, these are how the names go. So the Bible often say God, that he's the God of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Esau. Or not Esau. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Esau. And so, uh, but Jacob and Esau are, are twins. And so uh, really cool story there. Really, really inter interesting uh, understanding of how you mess, mess, mess kids up because they're born as twins. But the Bible says that the, the father prefers Esau because he's hairy and likes to hunt. And the mother likes Jacob because he's hairless and likes to cook. And so they have issues from start to finish. You can read in scripture. Eventually, uh, Jacob lies his way into the birthright uh, and flees and gets married and has, ends up having 12 sons. And so uh, one of his sons, the youngest one, uh, second youngest one, his name's Joseph. And so Joseph. Joseph is sold off into slavery by his older brothers. And so the Bible is, if you think your family's messed up, just read scripture, right? And so sold off into slavery and he's sent to Egypt. And one of my favorite parts of, of, of the story of Joseph is Joseph, through all these series of events, rises to prominence, power. His brothers come back and they need him because there's a famine and he's in a place of position. And they don't even know it's Joseph. And then they find out it's Joseph and they're scared. And Joseph says this. And this is the most powerful line in the story of Joseph. He said, don't worry. What you intended for harm, God used for good. I love that. Any area of your life, anything, anybody who's done you wrong, anybody who's said something bad about you, anybody who's pushed you away from what you thought God had, if you'll just keep trusting God, eventually you'll get to the point and say, don't worry about it. What you meant for bad, God made for good. It changes your life's perspective. And so he ends up, you know, being kind of a pretty powerful guy, brings his family in. They spend 400 years in Egypt, but something shifts in Egypt. They have a pharaoh that likes them, and then he dies, and then another pharaoh comes, and the Bible says he enslaves these people. For 400 years, they're slaves. Uh, there's about a million Israelites now living in the land of Egypt, and they're praying, God, rescue us. And so God sends them Moses. This is the next big name in Scripture. And Moses leads them out of of. of of slavery to the promised land, the Bible says. And as they go, you can read it, they walk through the Red Sea, God gives them manna, like it, the God's hand is literally upon them. They get to the promised land, and I think Moses makes a mistake here, but this is just me, is the Bible says that instead of just going to the promised land and saying, this is ours, you've already promised it, you walked us through here, he says, the Bible says he sends 12 spies. Now, how many of you know, if you get that many people involved in a decision you're going to make, you're probably going to make the wrong decision? Right, because God's going to tell you to do things that just don't make sense. And so he sends 12 spies in, and these people have all literally been rescued from slavery, walked through the Red Sea, been fed manna, watched God lead them by fire at night in a cloud during the day. Like they've turned and they watched their enemies that were their enemies for 400 years be destroyed in a moment by God. Like they, they, they could trust him. And they get to the promised land, and 10 spies go in, 12 spies, but 10 of them come back, and they go, man, we got to talk to you about this situation. There's some big dudes in there. 
They got a lot of processes. They got a lot of hiding spaces. They got, a, they, got their, they got their stuff together. They got some weaponry. I don't think we should do it. And the Bible says that their spirit spread amongst the camp. One guy that was there, Caleb, that we're going to talk about, the Bible says that Caleb and another guy named Joshua come, and they say, no, we can go do it. We, we can go do it. And the Bible says he had a different spirit about him. Ten guys said, no, you can't do it. No, you can't go. And here's what's so interesting. This is, this is what's so sad. In Exodus chapter 14, you find out that God says to them, you're not going in. You're going you're gonna to wander around in a circle for 40 years until all of the critical babies in the camp of the Jewish people die and the next generation go. And it's almost like he said, I can't do this great thing with these whiny people. So they take this 40-day journey, right? We're going to get there in 40 days. And they turn it into a 40-year spectacle in their life. And here's, here's, here's the, the spiritual principle. You can't get where you're supposed to go with the wrong people. So, some of you, you're, you're, you're holding up God's plans for your life. You're, you're allowing people to get in the way of the future. You're asking the wrong voices their opinions on what you should do. Should I do that? I already know what scripture says, but let me try to get the opinions of other people. No, you said, that's, that's dumb. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, but God said to do it. Yeah, but God's not always right. We never say that, but how many times do we think that? It doesn't always work out like that. Like God doesn't always know what he's talking about. So I want to give you from, from scripture five spirits that you should look for in people that you're going to be friends with. And they're, they're important. First one is this. First spirit is this. Number one is a spirit of seriousness. Now here's the thing. If you're going to be in a relationship with God, you're going to live your life on purpose. Now I want to, I want to explain something to you. I've actually been doing a, a, a Bible plan called wholeness, which is not something that sounds like anything that I'd ever want to do, but I like the logo. So I clicked start the plan. And so and so I'm reading through this Bible plan on, on wholeness. And in the Bible plan, it starts to talk about how every person needs love, right? And then every per person needs purpose. They, they need something or some reason to, to be on this, this earth. And so let me explain something to you. Some of you, I started thinking about this. The reason so many people that I meet, they feel like their life is not, is not worth anything. They're not going anywhere. They don't have a reason to wake up. They got all these things, but it never satisfies them because you lack purpose, you lack purpose. And what's purpose? Purpose is a God-given mission. Something that God says, I'm going to call you to this. And then you willingly say, I'll give my life for this. I'll do whatever I got to do. God, you've been so good to me. You changed my life so much. I'll give you whatever that you want to have. God, I'll die on this hill. That's what purpose looks like. It literally wakes you up in the morning. It keeps you up at night. When, you, when you're laying around, you're thinking about it. Like, that sounds like a life worth living. Are, my are you tracking with me? Like, you have something to do. Even when you have nothing to do, you're thinking about the purpose that God has for, for, for your life. And here's what I found in my life. Once you get that purpose, one of the greatest hindrances to moving into it is surrounding yourself with people that don't have one. That don't, don't have any idea why they're, why they're awake. That aren't going the same direction that you're going. That don't care about the same things that, that you're caring about. That don't get why you're so serious. I, I'm just telling you from experience. When we first started this church, one of the hardest things for me was to get people excited about the purpose of the church. You know what the purpose, does anybody know what the purpose of the church is? Seek and save the lost. 
The purpose of the church is to tell people about Jesus Christ, to seek and save the lost, to do everything we can short of sin, to reach people that feel far from Christ. And one of the hardest conversations with people was to get them to understand that purpose. And one of the things that drove me the most crazy is when I would meet somebody early on in the church and they would say, why are you so serious about this? Why are you making such a big deal? It's just church. I mean, I don't, I don't know if pastors are supposed to say this, but there's a few times in my life where somebody said that, that I envisioned myself just, what, right, like right in the, in the most loving way possible, right? Just, what do you mean it's just church? And I started realizing not everybody is going to be as serious about the things that God has called you to. Not everybody is going to see the same purpose. Not everybody's supposed to be with you. Some people are going to get in the way of that. And I, I, I like to have a good time. I like to laugh. I love a good dad joke. I love funny movies. Like, I like to have a good time. But there's a time for that, and there's a time when you need to surround yourself with people that understand we're going to do something that is actually impacting and changing the, the world. I don't want to just hang out with people all the time. I want people to come into my life that are serious about the things that God has called us to be serious about. So find people with the spirit of seriousness in your life. Don't surround yourself with everybody who just, just wants to hang out. I'm just there for a good time, Right? Seriousness. Number two is this. No, no, the second spirit is a spirit of surrender. This one is important. A spirit of surrender. A along with understanding the gospel, uh, we need to understand sin. We, we don't. We don't. You know, we don't talk about it enough in church. Uh, we don't speak about it. We're not as aware of it as we should probably be. Um, probably because of pastors, myself included, we haven't been clear enough with, with what sin is and what it accomplished and what it does to people's lives and how it destroys them and how sad it is when sin is running rampant and how the Bible says sin grows in your life and brings death. So what do we do? We actually kind of speak on everything else besides sin. We don't even talk about sin that much, but because we want to understand the gospel and the gospel brings purpose, the gospel also brings an awareness of why Jesus actually came. Jesus came, and he didn't come to be a good teacher. He didn't come to be popular, and he was anything but that, right? He came to die on a cross for sin. What sin? The Bible says that sin separates you and me from God. At the wages of our sin is death and hell. So that means at the end of our life, if Jesus didn't come, we would take our last breath here, and our next breath, we would be standing before the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he began to speak to us about our life. And if he would speak to us about our life and about all the things that we've done, all the times we've cursed, all the times we've lied, all, 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 all the times we've lusted, all the times we had sex outside of marriage, all the times we gossiped, every time we overate. Come on, let me just preach about all the sins in church today. Every time that we did things outside of the will of God, that all those would be written down in our, in our, in our file and it, we, would, we would get them read to us and all of a sudden it'd be like, oh crap. What do I do? You can't. What would you hear? Depart from me. You don't know me. You can't pay for this. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes to the earth. He dies on the cross for our sins. He sacrifices himself for us. And the Bible says when he dies and he raises from the dead that he pays our sin in, in full. And here's what's so cool. When I get to heaven because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not that I don't got a long list. I got a massive list. But when he opens up that list, it's blank because when Jesus died for me on that cross, the Bible says that he forgave me and cleared out my debt in full, right? And so when God sees me, he sees Jesus. That's what he did for me. But the Bible also talks about how 
even know that he forgives my sin, past, present, and future, that the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and enable me to run away from sin, to live a life of holiness, to live a life where I'm set apart, where I'm being sanctified. And the problem with so many churches is we know that Jesus died for our sin, but we don't know the weight of it. And so what happens is in our lives, we just keep on sinning. And the Bible says when you keep on sinning and you don't repent, it's like you're putting Jesus back on the cross again and mocking him. And so I don't want to be around people that go, it's no big deal. Sin is no big deal. It's, it's no big deal. You're, you're, you know what? You're doing things you shouldn't be doing. It's no big I want to have people in my life that have the spirit of surrender. They understand how significant that sin is and salvation and is forgiveness is and grace. In fact, I love what Paul says in scripture. Watch what he says. I love this in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love this. He says, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, what did I do? I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. He says, the grace of God changed me, but when it changed me, it made me work even harder to be more like Jesus. That's the type of people I want to be around. I want to be around people that understand that sin in my life grows and brings death, and so they're going to challenge me. They're going to encourage me. They're going to point things out. They're going to, they're going to let me know when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that we are serious about surrender in our, in our faith. Let me just give you a few more. Number three is this, a spirit of what I call sharpening. A spirit of sharpening. I, I just wrote a couple things. I want to be around people who push me. I want to be around people that are growing where I'm going. I, I want to be around people that are not satisfied with where they're at. I, I want to be around people who embrace pain in their life to, to gain. Like, I don't want to be around people who are whining about how everything's going wrong. I want to be around people who are embracing pain so that they can become all that God has called them to be. One of the famous, most famous verses in scripture about friendship, what does it say? Proverbs 27, where iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. That's what friendship is all about. I want to be around people who are making me sharper in my faith. Here's what I would encourage you. Don't ever surround yourself with people that are not pushing you to grow. You're not a finished product. I don't know if you knew this or not. I'm not a finished product. I, I, I'm, not, I'm far from being complete in who, I want, who God wants me to be. And so I want people to come into my life that are sharpening me, that are pushing me forward, that, that are call, calling me out if they need to, that we're making each other better, that we're not satisfied with where we're at. Spirit of sharpening. Let me give you two, three, two more. The spirit of submission. Here, here's an important one. A spirit of submission. This is not a popular word, by the way. And so uh, I did, a, I did a, 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 a wedding a few years ago. I used Ephesians uh, chapter 5 where it talks about the wife is supposed to submit to, to her husband and then the husband is supposed to submit to Christ and the husband is supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church, lay, his down, lay, lay down for them. If you don't listen to the whole chapter, all you hear is the word submit. You're, you're, you know what I'm saying? And so some woman came up to me and she's like, I hate that. And I was like, well, take it up with Jesus, lady. And so like, that's not my problem, right? I didn't make it up, trust me. And you're not my wife, thank God, and so it's not about you, right? Like, so you submit to your, and so, like, but we always buck at that word. Like, ah, so here's what submission is. Submission is the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And so here's what this means in, in friendship. Uh, find friends that are more afraid of letting God down than they are of confronting you. That's, this is important. Find friends that are more afraid of letting God down and, and encouraging you and confronting you than they are in calling you out and you getting mad at them. In fact, I love what it says in Proverbs, Book of Wisdom 29. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord 
will be kept safe. You ever hear that, that old story, the emperor with no clothes? I don't know if you ever heard it before. I'm just going to give you this, the summary because a lot of us have friendships like this. But this emperor loved clothes, like absolutely loved clothes. And he had people around him, but nobody was super honest with him. This, this, is, this is the main problem with friendships, out, like even inside and outside the church. Like you have people around you, but nobody is really that honest with you because they're afraid of you. They don't want to lose you as a friend. And so uh, this emperor has these, these people show up to his kingdom, and uh, he loves clothes. And so they come, and they're these, these, these guys that say, we make the finest clothes in the world. They're so light. They're so pure. Uh, they're made with such great, great, great uh, material that when they're done, that you can't see them unless you're smart and educated. They're so light, they're so, like you won't see them unless, they're, 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 unless you're educated and smart. So they begin to make these clothes and this emperor pays, of course, pays these people lots of money because they're, they're gonna make these amazing clothes for them. And occasionally he would send a servant to check on them. And because the servant didn't want to come across as uneducated and unsmart, they would go look at these clothes these guys are making, but they were, if you, they were fake clothes, they were so nice you couldn't see them unless you were educated. And they would come back and they would say, oh, sir, they're so beautiful. You're going to look so great. They didn't want to tell them. We don't know what they're talking about. We think these people are crazy. So the day comes for him to go out in the streets and parade the good clothes around. And so he puts the fake clothes on. He gets them all dressed. And the, 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 the seamstresses are there. They go, oh, you look so beautiful. Look at you. look great, king. This is so nice. And he's, he's, of course, naked, but he thinks he has clothes on. And he goes out on the street, and everybody on the street begins to say, oh, my gosh, you look so Yo, man, you look amazing. It's the best clothes we've ever seen. And no one would tell the king, you are butt naked right now. Like everybody can see your business because they were afraid. They didn't want to look uneducated and dumb. And I'm just telling you so many times, we, we're like that. Like people, people are walk around, walking around us. You're doing something you probably should not do. It's not going to turn out well. That relationship's not going to spin out well. That decision's not going to lead you to where God wants you to be. And because you've not surrounded yourself with people that are more, uh, more impressed with God than they are you, they don't go, hey, that's a really dumb idea. That relationship is not going to work out. That's not going to happen. They're afraid you're going to lead them. But you need to get some friends that say, I can replace you, but I can't replace Jesus Christ. Like, if you walk out of me, we can hash this out. But I, I need to stand before my creator someday and give an account for the actions that I led with. And let me just give you one more thought, what I would call the spirit of beneficial speech. This one's important. And this one brings me right back to, 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 the, to the story. Uh, because so many times uh, we surround ourselves with people uh, that their, their talk it literally destroys our life. But the Bible says that uh, the tongue has the power of life and death. That's what it says. Well, one, one, one pastor told me one time, he said, uh, your words create your world. The tongue has the power of, of life and, and, and of death. And so I want, want you to bring you back to this story. If you, you can go read it on your own, Exodus chapter 13 and 14. But just think about it. Uh, the guys that go in as spies, 10 of them come back and say, this, this, this crazy. We're never going to do this. We, we can't, can't go. Like, we can't defeat these people. I know what God's done, but I don't think he's going to do it uh, uh, again. And because of that, it created the world of wandering for 40 years in their, in their life. But, but, but Caleb has a different way of speaking. He, he walks in and says, God can do it. God can do it. God, 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 God can, he can make a way. God, God can defeat them. We didn't, he didn't ask us if we could do it. He asked if he could do it. He could do it. So here's the thing, I struggle with this next point because uh, what I'm about to tell you to, to, to surround yourself with, I'm ac actually an expert in the opposite, right? And so, and so I'm working on this with you because I'm a realist. Anybody else a realist in this place? Like life stinks sometimes. 
Marriages stink sometimes. Like I'll see people's marriages, I'm like, yeah, your marriage stinks. Think God can do something about it? Yeah. You get really, like, you, you know if you're in church, you get really bad reports health-wise from people's lives. And it's hard sometimes. You're just like, I don't know what to say. Is it good? No. Get your kids involved in your life? Think your kids are going to turn out good? I don't know, right? It's a really tough situation we're in right now. Like there's all these tough, and you, you're a realist, right? And so you're real. And what do we do if you're a realist? What do we do? We're critical and we complain. And that's where I'm experts in. It's my, it's my genetic spiritual gift, right? Like critical and complain, right? That's what we do. And here's what I found in my life. If I'm not careful, I will surround myself with critical complainers in my life. And there is nothing more detrimental to your future that God has for you than walking into something that's difficult and have surrounded yourself by people who see the worst and by people who speak the worst. And so I'm going to encourage you, surround yourself with people that speak life into your situation. It's not that it's not, it's not bad, but I serve a God who's bigger and better than it. It's not that it looks dark, but I serve a God who is light. I serve a God who can make a way where there seems to be no way. I serve a God who healed in the past, and if he healed in the past, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I serve a God who can do it again in my life. And I want to be really careful. I want to be really careful to get away from people that are critical and complainers. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like critical people. You ever notice that critical people, they only criticize somebody doing better than them? Never criticize somebody doing worse. I don't want to be around people like that. In fact, uh, I was at a football game a few, a few weeks ago, a uh, Phoenixville home football game. And uh, it was an awesome atmosphere. They did this big community event. There was kids everywhere running around, teenagers playing football and, you know, doing what teenagers do. Student section was packed. We played this, this team from uh, Chester, and they came in, and they just bulldozed us. Like, it, we started off great. It was 10 to 8. I'm like, we're, we're, like, we're going to win. And then it was 47-10 at the end of the game. And I was doing burgers that night, and so my wife volunteered me to cook burgers at the snack bar, and so I was grilling burgers and, you know, doing my thing, and, and she was in the snack bar, and I, was, I kept peeking out to look at the game, and by the end of the game, we had cooked all the burgers that they had. We, 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 me and this other guy, we had this whole McDonald's system going on. We were flipping burgers everywhere. We cooked 160 or 170 burgers, so we were done, and uh, we were kind of cleaning the grill and out, and then by the end of the game, everybody starts moving around, and you start to hear all this, this talk from kids walking around that aren't on the field. You ever notice? And they're talking about how bad their team is, and they got beat. Now, this one kid walked by. He's probably six foot seven, right? Like this huge kid, and he's out there. They, they, they stink. They lost 47-10. I just want to tell him, bro, go out there and do it. Like, what are you doing? You're really complaining about it. We're getting our butts kicked, and you're six foot seven. God made you to be out there, right? <laughs> but he's critical, and that, that's what, that's what I found. The people that are criticized usually are never doing anything. I just don't want to be around people like that. I want to be around the doers, not the talkers. You know what I'm talking about? I want to be around the people. I want to surround myself with people that see the opportunity, not, not what's wrong. Oh, we can't do this. Oh, we can't move forward. Oh, we can't accomplish that. I know we can't, but, but God can. How about the complainers? Anybody expert complainers in here? How many of you notice that there's not a verse in Scripture that talks positive about complaining? It's not like this one that's like, yeah, you're keeping it real. It's way to go, right? Like, it's like, no. Quit complaining. Speak life, not death. Surround yourself with people that have a benefit to their speech. Surround yourself with people 
that are serious about their faith. Surround yourself with people that have a spirit of surrender in their life. that are killing sin. You know why? Because if you don't kill sin, sin kills you. So surround yourself with somebody who gets in your business every once in a while. There's this verse in scripture I noticed. Uh, it's in your notes. I didn't have time to read it. But it says, to confess your sins to each other and then you will be healed. And I had this thought. Because we live in a culture that's so individualistic, I always wonder, why isn't God doing more miracles in our church? You ever wonder that? Why doesn't God move more? Is it a faith thing? Maybe. Or is it because we're so individualistic that when we mess up and when we're in sin, we refuse to go to somebody else. We take it to God. But what if the missing ingredient is when we confess to God and then we go find somebody else and we find accountability there and that's where the healing comes from? What if our refusal to dive into relationships like that is keeping us from being the people that God has called and created us to be? You were formed for relationships. Would you stand to your feet all over this house? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes both here in Montgomeryville? And uh, would you just... Would you just begin to communicate with your Lord and Savior? If you know Christ, I, I, I just, I want you to stop even listening to me right now. And would you just begin to allow him to, to continue the work? The Bible talks about how God's word doesn't return void. So when you lift up the name of Jesus and you, you communicate about his truth, that the Bible says uh, that where there's two or more gathered, that he shows up in a profound way. He's the main thing. He's the reason we're here. He's the only reason that we're ever here, is Jesus. If we didn't have Jesus, his word wouldn't mean anything. It'd be good advice. It'd be something you should, you know, maybe try out with the hope that it works. But if it's built on Jesus, you can take it to the bank. His word is true. It's accurate. It leads us the right way. And I'm telling you, one of the things it talks about in Scripture over and over and over again is you were built for relationships and be picky with who you decide to form those with. So for some of you, it's not about getting rid of somebody in your life, but it's just about moving, continuing to move in the right direction. Here's what I found. As you move in the right direction, sometimes the wrong people just kind of fall off. And then it makes way for the right people to come into your life. Uh, others of you, just real practically, man, you're, 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 you're like, I want friendships, but you never ever step outside of your comfort zone. You've never joined a home group. You're, you're not in community anywhere. You're like this, this is what this is all about, if you didn't understand that. Like, it's, it's bigger than just coming in and singing to God. He doesn't need that. That's what the point of that song. The Bible says even the rocks will do that. That there's something significant that happens when God's people come together and they're honest and they're real and they lean into his presence and they open up their eyes and they commit to being connected to each other and forming relationships and they live their life on mission and they step outside of their comfort zone. Like beautiful, life-changing things happen there. So some of you would just say, prayer, God, uh, I'm gonna step outside of my comfort zone. I've never even been a part of a church before. Like you, you've come for maybe months, but you've never even been a part of a church. Like you, you're gonna begin to become a part of what's going on here. You're gonna step into serving. You're gonna step into community. You're going to ask the Lord to bring you the right relationships so you can be the right person. Some of you, your marriage is falling apart and you don't know what to do. You're one, one connection. One connection away 
for maybe a, a couple that's been there, maybe speaking into your life. Some of you trying to raise kids right now, man, you don't, you don't know what to do. You're reading every book you could possibly read. Maybe there's a spiritual connection that the spirit of the living God wants to bring into your life where, man, somebody can tell you, I've been there. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Some of you facing a physical ailment, a report that's overwhelming to you. There's other people who have been through that. There's connection there. There's power there. There's encouragement there. We need each other. So as we, as we pray, maybe you would just begin, Spirit of living God, I, I've tried it before. Maybe some of you are so worried. You've tried to make friendships before, and it just hasn't worked out. But we started the conversation last week, and maybe you were real enough with yourself to say, man, I've been the problem. I've been the one in the way. So you've been working on some things, man. You're getting the field ready for the harvest spiritually in your life, fr- friendship-wise. The Lord's going to bring the right people into your life. And as we... As we kind of pray. We sit in this moment. Maybe you don't know Christ. And uh, I wouldn't do justice to this, this time without giving somebody an opportunity. I spoke about the gospel a little bit. The gospel is what the Bible calls is the good news. I gave you some of the bad news. The bad news is me and you, we're sinners. We're separated from God because of our sin. We deserve death and hell. We're not good people. Like that, we, we do that all the time. I'm a good person, they're not a good person, and we judge people, right? But the truth is, if you judge yourself and compare yourself to God, nobody's a good person. The Bible says we all fall short of God's glory, and the wages of our sin is death and hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that part. That means any, anybody in any situation, with any background, with any amount of baggage, with any amount of shame, with all the regret that you carry in this world, that anybody who comes into the presence of Jesus Christ and responds to his good news, the gospel, and says, yes, I need a savior, that anyone can be saved. Anyone. So maybe you're in this place today. Maybe you're in Montgomeryville, and you say, hey, that, that's, you're speaking to me. That, that's me. Like you're talking about needing a relationship with God and uh, talking about Jesus, and I, I just know that I need him. The Bible says that you should confess with your mouth and you should believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you'll be saved. Anyone who calls on him. I love that message. Life-changing, healing, releasing, freeing message of Jesus Christ. He's here. So here's what I want to do. As everybody else kind of doing their own, their own thing, working on their own, own life, dealing with their own issues, stepping outside of their own comfort zone, uh, doing the work. Maybe you're in this place, you don't know Christ, but you need to. Somebody invited you here today, and maybe you even thought you were here by chance, but you're not here by chance. You're not, it's not an accident you're here. God knew the exact seat you were going to sit in. He knew the exact Sunday you were going to come. And he has this right on time message right now. He's knocking at the door of your heart. Man, he wants a relationship with you. And he's done all the work he could possibly do. It's like a gift. He's passed it to you. You receive it. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. So before we pray and we close and we leave this place, I want to give you one chance to respond all over this place. If you would say, hey, I don't know Christ, but I need to. Man, from the moment I got here, I I just felt something. I I could feel, literally feel the Lord knocking at the door of my heart. And I don't even fully understand it. 
but I know I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know I'm ready for a change. I know I need some hope. I know I need purpose. I know I need love in my life. With nobody looking around in this moment, if that's you, if I'm speaking to you right now, you don't even fully understand it, but you know you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to pray with you all over this house as we close, but I want you to do one thing, a little bit of courage, a little bit of courage, a little bit of stepping outside of your comfort zone. If that's you all over this place, without any fear, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. I need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I need him to heal me. I need him to forgive me. I see a hand over here. Is anybody else who say, hey, that's me? Another hand right here. If you're in Montgomeryville, maybe you would just keep your hand held high. I don't know I say this every week, but if you're joining us online and maybe you don't need to respond to the gospel, I know you can't physically raise your hand, but maybe right there in the chat, you would just say, hey, that's me. I'm responding to the gospel of Jesus, and we're going to pray all over this house together. We started doing something a few weeks ago, and I like it so much because uh, we're a family. We're a family, and so we're together. And so when we pray for salvation, even if you've done this a hundred times before in your life, uh, we're going to pray together. So I'm asking you to do something, and I want you to do it like you mean it. I want you to repeat after me this simple prayer. Say, Jesus, come on all over this house. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to this broken earth and dying on a cross for this broken person. Jesus, thank you that you rose in power on the third day. And it's through you that I can become a brand new person. Jesus, my mind is being transformed. My heart is being healed. And I'm being set free. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's clap together all over this place. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.